and welcome to the next episode of Real Talk with me, Katie Brown. The uh, the rating and reviews, five star always, like I tell you, every Tuesday. Uh, but we are full of different guests and today is a little different. I'm going to physio world. Yeah, something that I haven't really touched before, but I can't wait to have a chat to our next guest. And I would just like to say this week, if you do have a friend who you think would be interested in listening to the Real Talk podcast, make sure you share it around um, because I know that we've got a passionate family that's growing here at Real Talk, but the family always likes to grow. Now, our next guest, let's get straight to it because we have trailblazers, we have champions, but this man is also somebody who is incredibly supportive of the women's space. And uh, look, we're not going to bore you with these extreme feminist views, but it is always important to have the opposite gender on our side as well. And we always want to improve uh, the game, whether it be rugby league, AFL, um, any individual sport, it doesn't matter. But I would like to introduce Mick Baines, who is the CEO and founder uh, and physiotherapist at Baymed. Hey, Mick, how are you? I'm good, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Are you nervous? Yeah, very, very. <laughs> I need to tell our listeners, when we were talking about having this chat, there was definitely like, okay, I, I I, don't want to get myself in too much trouble with this, but here we are. So no backing out now. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll uh, do some icebreakers yes. just to get you really warmed into it, okay? And I feel like you'll be able to answer these pretty well. But first injury you ever fixed well, I wouldn't say we ever fixed them. I'd say the, the people tend to heal themselves. But uh, the first injury I misdiagnosed was certainly a, a shoulder in 2001. And I still remember it well. Oh, oh, you know what? <laughs> I love that you're vulnerable and you admitted that. Worst client. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's more worst personality. I just think ego and you know, privilege and which probably puts most footballers uh, right up there um, in the early stage of my career, unfortunately. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you off camera about some of those names. No. Um, what's your go-to coffee order? Uh, small double shot flat white. Yeah, nice. Good one. Party trick? Do you have one? Uh, uh, no, not anymore. I haven't drunk in 10 years, so my party tricks have dried out. Good on you. I like that. Uh, what about pet peeve? Uh, oh, they grow by the week as I get older, unfortunately. I, I, it keeps coming back to um, probably people with high talk and low walk standards, I think. Mm. Um, I, I just can't stand people that set their stale to a standard that they don't come past. So that's probably where I get peeved. High talk, low walk. I'm adding that. That is a good line. All right, Mick. One word that best describes you? Uh, candid. Mm-hmm. Why so? Oh, I think I think it's a little bit different to direct. I think um, I probably have spent the last ten years, trying or twenty years now, trying to to build trust in my professional career, and some of that has to be based on on just being, you know, radically candid or, or truthful best I can. But I think candid's probably somewhere between blunt and direct and obnoxious. Mm, I think that's great. <laughs> I always love hearing people's one word because it takes a little bit of time. Did it take you a bit of time to figure out what best describes you? Yeah. 
yeah, I think so. I think you, it's. I think there's a lot of fluff. Like you, you sort of want to be respected or trusted or all those sort of things. But yeah, I don't know. That's sort of what I came up with. Yeah, and I'm not going to prove you wrong because it's your word, and you got to live with that. <laughs> uh, now, for everybody listening, yes, Mick has worked in this. It, elite athlete space, um, whether it be Olympians or whether it be NBL. Um, NRLW has been a big baby of his and something that he's incredibly passionate about. Um, Mick, you've worked with the Dragons, with New South Wales and also Gillaroos at World Cups. And so there's a lot to unravel. But before we do get into all of the chat about who you are and your story and what you're passionate about, um, there are two human beings who are very passionate about also empowering other female athletes, and that is Shane and Athena at Workplace Law. And they are a proud partner of ours here on Real Talk, and we actually cannot do this without them, um, which is, I guess, very raw and relevant that it is um, genuine help that they give people like myself and, and like others who are looking for some guidance in the business life. But also if you're just a female athlete, um, I say just, if you're a female athlete and you want some direction or you need some support and you actually just want to figure out how best to go through your contract or if you want representation, they are genuinely passionate about helping players, not just females, gaining more skills and also have your own careers outside of your sporting field. So workplacelaw.com.au is the website you can find them on and get in contact. You don't need an arm and a leg to uh, to pay any costs either. They do love to help um, and just be of assistance and also workplacelaw.au on Instagram. So with that being said, Mick, it's now your time to shine. And I would love to give our listeners some background on how you and I came into communication. It was through Holly Wheeler, actually, um, because I love taking recommendations from people. And it's incredibly satisfying when people want to recommend someone else. Um, and I feel like Holly's not the only woman in the NRLW space who has a lot of respect for you. Uh, she mentioned that there are a lot of players who love that you're very genuine about your help in the space. So I think where we need to start is your background as a physiotherapist and what it is that you love doing um, and helping with the women's space. Uh, so I started in sport uh, in the junior reps in 2000 um, down here at the Steelers. So I've sort of been involved with rugby league um, since then. So 22, 23 years now. Uh, and look, super lucky and privileged along the way to have worked across all levels um, of sport um, and not just rugby league. But, but it, uh, over the last few years, I think there's just become a real, and it's mostly off the field stuff. So I've sort of had another side of our business and about sort of my life in the advocacy space. Um, uh, and it, it seems a little bit contrived and cliched. It's not meant to be, but just the the inequality around the, the sort of uh, everything from gender violence through to uh, feminism through to, like, I feel like there's, there's a huge space there and then sports over here and sport is supposed to be this equal playing field. And it, it, it's really sort of sat poorly with me that we keep talking about how many strides forward we're making, but we're not speaking about how far behind we're coming from. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, and, and I, I love, you know, that Holly will speak that way and a lot of the, the players, but we, I've been really blessed to have a, a, a position or a platform, I guess, that lets me support 
I've always said like yeah, the best line we ever had was equal for equal, but it's such a it's such rubbish because nothing's equal. Um, and we don't give these girls and these players and these incredible people um, the support that an under 16s under 17s boy doesn't even think about just gets and expects. Um, and I think that's what lights the fuse for me to yeah push back against a lot of the um, a lot of what's said is been happening is probably the key. And when we talk about what's being said that's happening, um, there's this fine line between these female players being grateful and also expecting. And so when there are players who expect, uh, it's almost like there is this generation who say, no, be grateful, but it's also coming from other areas as well. So at the moment, what do you believe is the biggest problem? Um, look, I always come back to we we don't talk about the bigger issues, which is the, the patriarchal society that these that these athletes, these females, have been brought through. So they're expected to be grateful for the crumbs, um, and it's a tough one. I, I re-listened to your episode with Brad um, last week, and actually took a lot out of it with the old and the new and how there's conflict when everyone's sort of trying, like there, there is a real conflict where those that have come from nothing are constantly saying, how much better is this? Mm. Um, but uh, to me, I think, well, where's the investment so that we can actually put on this product where, you know, players are able to present in the physical shape and in the, in the, um, well-being space and in the financial space to be able to really present to 51% of the population what they deserve. And we only saw the other night, didn't we, with Alyssa Healy's 170. You know, that's what happens when you make women professional. Um, you know, we look at Ash Barty, we look at these incredible... We're so far from that uh, in the NRLW space at the moment. Um, there's a long way to go, I think, is the, the key. And, and, it's, and it's happening slowly, but it's, there's a long way to go. When we say that it is happening slowly, I think that's the the argument, right? So people say, well, it's happening, but we want to make sure we're doing it the right way. Are you calling BS on that? I, I, I warned you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say something <laughs> that would get me uh, sacked from anyone. I just think, it, look, it's, I feel like there's a, a really complex thing at play here that, you know, and the, you look at some of our marquee players who, you know, struggle to get treated to put on a product on the weekend that's got 350,000 audience, mm. which is incredible for you can't be what you can't see type thing. And But yet I feel there's a heavy burden on these players that it's at their cost. They have to make a decision around leaving work early, using up ADOs to get treated, to put on a product that the, the under-20s um, men don't have to do. Um, and... I really feel for for the for the tip of the iceberg that the really top players in our game that that they are carrying the burden. They're kicking the can forward in their own way. They're they're having to make a choice between doing overtime at work or doing rehab extras. Or in their off season, they're making a choice as to spending their own cash to have performance programs, to go to gyms, to present in the shape that the game needs them to present in. Um, so it's probably the conversations that aren't happening and. And it's a tough one because when we look at infrastructure and growth, it's it's those things. It's half a million dollars worth of 
of services at each club to be able to provide the infrastructure. So it's a it's a really challenging time. So how do we fix this? Because a lot of the talk can also be, oh, well, there's, there's going to be problems forever. But what are the solutions to those problems? Because I'm sure you communicate a lot with these players. You have been in that situation with clubs, with states, with players at the national level. So what's the common theme? What do they want? Uh, yeah, they want the support all year round. I think that's probably the, the the most important thing about professionalism is it allows you to be professional. Yeah. Um, and, and that's tough. You know, that's I, I can I certainly never want to be seen to be throwing rocks from the outside because it's you know, it's really hard. Even the, the providers, whether it be gyms or strength coaches or physio or doctors, you know, they've got to make a living as well. Um, not just the players. So we we sort of the thing about sport is we trade on goodwill a lot. We really we ask a lot of a certain, you look at the gear stewards or the volunteers that set up the sheds and all these things. There's a lot of, a lot of volunteering a lot of, along the way, but yeah, I feel like being able to offer these athletes, whether it be the NRL level down or whether it be that real go at a professional environment. Um, and I think people would be shocked at, at how much isn't professional still um what is that's it? just where they are i just just the clubs have done really well i, I can't give a rap big enough to a lot of the nrlw clubs at the moment because it's there that when the players are theirs then you know and i can only speak for the dragons at the moment you know our from surgeries to braces to specialist appointments i can honestly say that we there's no separation uh, at our club this year uh, and particularly the last couple of years, players need surgery, players need everything. It's it's tick the pen, which is great. That's boys get, girls get. Um, but then our season finishes after eight weeks and it, because we they fall back through the cracks then to reach out to their own providers if they get hurt, if they've got medical issues, all of the things that stop them presenting as a professional in the next preseason, the onus is back on them to manage. Mm. Uh, and that's exhausting and we've had I can think of half a dozen girls that haven't come up for this year's NRLW because of medical or, or physical issues in between seasons where they just can't simply afford to have a health fund they can't afford to see a specialist they can't afford to do their rehab um, and I think that that's the challenge and I loved what Brad said the other week about you know the, the constant risk between growing big and growing small Yeah. Um, you know because Growing small means you can invest more in those structures to let the players be full-year professionals. Mm. Um, but again, mine's only a view from the medical and performance side. I'm not looking at the marketing and the advertising side and um, that sort of thing. But there's a, you know, when there's there's a real elite of our game who are, you know, they're speaking around how they can't do their management rehab because they've got to go to work and then come to training after hours and, you know, we, we're asking girls to drive home from training at 9.30 at night whilst being the elite professionals. It, it, we're just not there yet. Yeah, there is such a separation. And we're in this really awkward time uh, with the NRLW that there's so much want for it to be this elite sport uh, where athletes can get paid an income that can prevent them from having to have full-time jobs. 
on the other side, there is this argument that they don't bring in enough money and that there's no commercial uh, gains of this sport. Yet, my belief, and I feel like you're on the same page, is that if you don't ever invest in a product properly, you will never make um, a profit on that product. So I think there needs to be a decision made as to for this next broadcast rights deal to heavily invest. And at the moment, they're working with the RLPA. And I really hope that the RLPA make a really strong stance at hearing from those players and jotting down points that are a must. And I know in that recent expansion that they've talked about, um, all players that are signed for that next NRLW season here in 2022, they will have private health insurance. For yourself being a medical professional, that is invaluable right yeah i think they have that already to be fair i think it's um it's the problem is that when they go from comp to comp in the same year or when there's multiple between teams they ah. the actual nrl the tip of the spear has all my understanding is it's always had health fund it's it's more around um who's looking after health and injuries between seasons yeah um because you think you think about the boys they finished their contract in the last day of September and start their new contract. Oh, sorry, last day of October, start their new contract the first day of November. Mm-hmm. So they're always contracted. Um, but they're, the, they're probably the um, in that sort of space. Who, who's responsible between contracts? So uh, uh, the problem for well, one problem is not being covered for medical help um, when that NRLW season is over. But what we would like to see is to have medical support for an entire year. Um, especially with these competitions growing, that that would be a good happy medium. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that the general public wouldn't realise is even the concept of being reimbursed becomes a real burden. So, mm. you know, it's brilliant if someone is reimbursed, but they're out of pocket multiple thousand dollars for multiple months. Um, and if we we pull it back to a an eighteen year old on contract in the boys system, they're never out of pocket. So they're contracted. So okay. even the reimbursement becomes a challenge because for some of these players, the thought of being out of pocket for a few months is too much. That the burden is too much. It falls back on the player, um, and that's they're the little things that they are real stress for the playing group um, to be out of pocket. So if I'm playing NRLW in game one and I injure myself. I have You're to. Fine. I'm fine because I am contracted at that time. But when I go back to the state, and and I'm playing in my state competition, Harvey Norman Women's Premiership or QRLW, that is when I may get reimbursed if I have a deal in the future. But I'm not contracted. Uh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. See, that's that's something so, that. And how do you how do you present for your next season if you're niggling for two months? through your BHP or your Harvey Norman comp. Yeah, well, you you can't. And you would probably have to say, okay, fine, I'll take the minimum 4K, um, which will now be hopefully six or eight. Um, But again, it's a 350K pool for 24 players coming into this NRLW 22. Is there any other medical um, issues that we could really get some insight on that need improvement? Um, just the time. The biggest issue at the moment in the game is um, is time. So, to my knowledge, the clubs at the top level train after hours, mm. um, and so 
it's having that ability to access um, medical, physio, osteo, whatever it is, through the day. You know, it falls back on the goodwill of those associated with the clubs because, you know, the you know, the, the common theme that I got back from a lot of the, the playing group that I spoke to over the last few weeks is, you know, we're still at that stage where, you know, as a rule, there's one physio, one strength staff for a squad of 28 that shows up. I mean, this year's chaos with the rapid testing because you can't get into the facility. So you get in there 40 minutes before they're on the field with 26, 28 players and you're strapping and you go, it's a, I think they're the little things where when you compare it to a fully professional program like the Sevens or the Australian cricket team, you know, medical, physio, rehab's all done through the day because that's your job. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the moment, even with, you know, the, the, the top of our game, it's it's work through the day and, you know, physio, rehab, medical's at training. Mm. Uh, and they're, they're little things, but... You know, that's just making sure as we go in. And I, I certainly don't want anything to do with the dollars and the salary cap and the, the collective bargaining and that sort of thing. But I look at it from a, a staffing point of view, you know, really investing in in that. Because when we look at the W League uh, and those sort of programs, they're still, they're still looking at it from the point of view of let's get a young, enthusiastic staff with no experience. We'll do it for nothing. Um, and what we know from these these top athletes is is they're sick of that. Yeah. They're actually saying to their clubs, no, no, get me the best doctor. Give me the best physio. Get me the one with 15, 25 years experience and pay them so that we can access them. Now, that sounds like a sales pitch for me. It's not what it is, but the clubs, you know, the best strength coaches, not the young, enthusiastic person that wants to carve their way because the players are asking for the – so there's this constant battle of, of resources and and – you're right, there's not many resources at the moment for anything. And in and in rugby league, uh, we know that players are going to be injured. It is a contact sport and we see it week in, week out. We've seen it through the NRLW seasons, heartbreaking injuries. So when they want the best of the best, that has a big dollar sign next to it as well. You have over 20 years' experience. So clearly you're one of some who have a lot of experience but have gone Okay, well, I'm willing to to help you because you're passionate about it. So, how what was the situation for you being involved with all these clubs? Have you just had to take none or or minimum money? Oh, I know. Again, I, we've we've sort of evolved. We've been really. I guess what we look at is there's a bigger picture here. You know, we know that that women control 94 percent, give or take, of discretionary spend in the household. So there's an incredible business opportunity for people to partner with the game. Um, at every level, like so, for me, there's the the supporting role, but there's also there's a bigger picture. There always is, um, but that's when you've probably got a bit of scale around you. It's um, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's, it's the again, I, I referring back to, to to Brad last week with a lot of the stuff around. We need this game to be the women's game. We don't need this game to be an add-on to the men's game. Mm. Um, and that's hard when the women's game's only been five years in the semi-professional era. So it's hard to, you know, the temptation is to go and steal all the systems from the NRL. Yeah. Um, but I think we need, we probably need to stop that and actually create our own systems and our own 
um, the way of doing it. So it's, it's a, it is a really challenging one. I, don't, I, don't, I certainly don't profess to have the answers, but I think our athletes deserve better than expecting everything to be volunteered um, around the edges. And, and for our circumstances at, at, at the Dragons, and um, we've absolutely looked at it as part of a bigger picture so that the, the same business that supports the 20s and the 18s and the 16s supports the NRL, supports the women. So it's a sort of catch-all, mm. um, but that's, a, that's, that's very circumstantial for us. Yeah. We're pretty fortunate. Well, it, I mean, it already starts as a, a hard one to win when it's a semi-professional comp, yet the women are expected to play like professionals and as good as the professionals. So as soon as that doesn't happen, uh, there is this belief that they shouldn't be getting paid or treated equally like the men. And um, look, it's a work in progress. But is there anything else that um, has been on your mind that you've spoken to the players about that you'd like to, to voice um, to educate us? Yeah, look, I think I think the biggest thing for me, and I, this is this is where I tread the line. Um, I just think that probably the biggest criticism I have for for those that have come out of the men's game back into the women's game is this constant expectation that this is how I am, this is how footy is. You need to accept this, um, and these are this is this is absolutely not specific to anyone in particular, but these are some of the, the really good people that I know in footy and I feel like there really needs to be an onboarding or an education module to work in women's sport. Mm. Um, I think uh, there was a great welfare piece came out at the start of the year around um, shame and, and gender-based violence and trauma and like I feel like mandatory reading of eggshell skull or um, you know the invisible women Carolyn Perez like things about the 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 place you're walking into is not your environment. You came from rugby league, but this is women's rugby league. And so the players are women. They're not like men. They're women. And so the way we speak, the way we raise our voice, the context of aggression, I feel like that that space still needs to be really like, like a working with children's check, but a working with women check. Like I think yeah, right. we, we look at, one in three have experienced gender violence, one in four some form of sexual assault or coercive behaviour. So if we know that that's our cohort, we need to make sure that people that put their hands up to work in this space come in knowing that. And I, and I just feel like there's a real tendency to say, but this is how I do footy. Mm. Um, and, and I've got all these skills to give, but this is how they have to adapt to me when really it's that there's 26 or 28 women there yeah. and I think that the support of the high skill of the male sport needs to be tempered by the the acknowledgement of of it's not men's sport um, and that's it's it's funny Katie like when I look at warm-up you know every male that's come out of men's sport can't help you know bells at 228 um, you know, warm-up finishes at this time, this time. Now, we had a situation on the weekend. We had two cubicles in a dressing shed for 18 players to come off warm-up. Now, we set up our, our prep based on what we know from men's sport where there's a whole urinal and showers and sinks and all sorts of stuff, right? But we now have anxieties and pressures around the time because we've got two toilets. Yeah. It's you know, those little things. It's mind-blowing what's not. Uh, 
what's not there, what's not available. I won't let you go off. Hey, what were those two books that you you mentioned? Can you read those for me? Uh, for me, Eggshell Skull, Bree Lee, which is terrifying around um, obviously skull. violence and Eggshell Skull, but yeah. Carolyn Perez, Invisible Women. Okay. Um, okay. That's good to know. We yeah. will add to the um, I'll add to the podcast notes because I think our, our listeners are pretty onto it and our viewers and they'll want to be able to educate themselves on that as well. Mick, we are just about coming up to time and like you've lasted, you haven't said a swear word, you haven't blasted any individual. I think you'll still have your job in rugby league. If not, I uh, look, maybe you can come do some work for Real Talk. <laughs> All right, just disclaimer, apologies. No, no. Everybody, I think everyone's trying. Everyone is trying. I, I absolutely never want to come across as someone who's like, there's a lot of work to do and, and we're all here trying to help. I, I, I do believe that. Yeah, and I think it's just about making sure that the the place is full of good people who are genuine about helping, and and you're one of them. And the the women would not have recommended you um, for me to have a chat with to help grow the great game if you weren't. So I really appreciate you coming on, Mick. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Before we do go, we need to thank Workplace Law because Shane and Athena and the team at workplacelaw.com.au are here to help women. They are also on board. They're just like McBain's at Baymed. Um, and if you want to learn how to manage your own career, your workplace or any contracts, then you can get in touch with the directors, Shane and Athena, um, because they're passionate about helping players. And if you want some guidance through some player contracts, some personal branding, um, any incidents or advice or representation, you can get in touch with workplace team because um, they just want to help you have confidence in your own careers on and off the off the field in sports. So we're very appreciative of that partnership. As for us, we're going to be back the same time, 7am on Tuesday with another episode of Real Talk. Leave us a rating, a review. And again, if you missed this episode, you can always watch a replay. Mick Baines from Baymed, the CEO and founder and a genuine a female supporter in the women's sporting space. We are very grateful for his time. Until next Tuesday, have a good one.